Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Thomas Wadsworth to talk about engineering and product management. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, I know Thomas from when he was a director of product development at Disney, but for listeners who aren't familiar, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I started at Disney by way of a startup, which was acquired way back in, I want to say, 2008, 2009. And uh, from there, just kind of worked my way through Disney as a product manager, uh, mainly in the areas of innovation. So working with the various innovation groups throughout Disney, whether that's Imagineering R&D, the ILMX Lab, um, and then ultimately helping found a group called uh, Disney Interactive Labs uh, with, a, with uh, our senior vice president. Um, outside of that, I was uh, responsible for a product and design for a project called Disney Life, which is probably better, best known as Disney Plus today, as uh, it was the first uh, streaming video service on demand, but it also had multi-content offerings like games, movies, books, and music, and then transitioned into uh, advanced uh, product development for Imagineering within their uh, interactive uh, games division. And so what that basically means is that we uh, look at the slate of upcoming attractions and help tie uh, mobile, tablet, or OTT offerings to those. Uh, but today I am now um, in the, back in the startup world, and I'm a founder of a new company that is currently in stealth mode, but uh, we'll be looking at focusing on how to help change models and content discovery within the SLOT space. So it's a little bit of background, but excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I'm so happy to have Thomas on the show today is because uh, a lot of what happens in day-to-day -day software engineering is uh, working with product managers and, and UI, UX people. And that's something that Thomas has a lot of experience. And uh, I know personally, a lot of people that I've talked to sometimes, uh, the people they work with in product makes that not such a good situation. Uh, in other cases, uh, the people in product are amazing. And that really uh, basically adds rocket fuel to the whole service or product that that's being developed. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, product and engineering are like left and right shoes. You, you really do need both. And I think a lot of engineers, software engineers, especially when starting out, don't actually fully understand the role of product or don't really know what working with a product manager is like. And so I think having that perspective here on the show could be really valuable for a lot of people. Uh, as Thomas mentioned, one of the products that uh, or projects that he was working on uh, was a streaming service that, that eventually, you know, would become uh, Disney Plus, and that is effectively Disney's Netflix, not to, you know, put it too much into a box. But I think anyone out there uh, who's listening probably recognizes Netflix as one of the top sop software engineering, you know, one of the biggest, you know, best known uh, companies for software engineering. And that's largely because of the types of challenges that they have to solve both on the back end for doing the, the video playback and delivery and encoding and all of those fun problems uh, to things like recommendations and, and accounts. Um, and then also just the, the UI of a uh, video player or experience like that has a lot of design constraints and a lot of tricky things when it comes to front end development. Uh, one of the things I'm curious about just, uh, you know, from you, Thomas, is, is what was working with an engineering team like on, on a project like that? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, to be fair, Disney Life was, um, 
was very much the kind of test and learn project to move Disney into streaming video on demand within EMEA. And so our team was, you know, it was based pretty much all over the world. And so I think I'll specifically talk about what it means to talk about, to work with the team here in um, the States. And then we can talk about, uh, you know, what it means to work with engineering teams overseas and in uh, different parts of the world. For me, I like to look at uh, engineering and just all parts of the team as uh, collaborators, right? You know, I think that there's many different schools of thought when it comes to project product management. Some people believe it's a dictatorship. Some people believe that, you know, product is there to support engineering or design. And it works differently within each company. And so there's no right or wrong way to do it based on the values of each company and how they're looking to, you know, move forward their business. So for me and within Disney, because Disney is a technology and an entertainment company, so you get this interesting intersection and mix. Um, the engineering teams that uh, we had, which was mainly front end, back end, and our machine learning groups, uh, as well as um, you know our engineering teams that were running um, operations. And so we very much looked at it as a collaboration. Uh, product for Disney was managing the priorities, managing the roadmaps, uh, helping set the future vision of what features we were gonna work on. And then ultimately, it's really product's job to help explain to the rest of the team in a very simplistic way why this is important, right? If you're going to have somebody spend a good amount of their time and effort on a feature, they should understand it. And um, in my point of view, it should be something in which it's very easy to see the direction, path, and why it's valuable. Whether that's with data or whether that's with stories, in a comp- and I ultimately believe it's a combination of that, um, it should be a collaboration. And product would ultimately work with engineering and going to them and saying, look, you know, this is the features and roadmaps we're looking to lay out here, but I ultimately want to know the health of the platform. Like, what is our tech debt? If we want to be able to introduce something like this, I need their guidance to be able to help them tell me if we're ready for it. Because ultimately, if we're not ready for it, we're going to be seeing problems down the line, which is just going to, you know, get into a finger blaming. And that's ultimately not a great place to be. And I will say that sometimes I do feel that, you know, engineering, depending on the company, can be, you know, the, the brunt of the blame, especially if they're the ones engineering it. But ultimately, if they've spoken up, um, then, you know, that, that should be heard. Or at least there should be a good enough business case or strategy reason to be able to move forward if it's not optimal. And yeah, so, totally. I can, I can see that, right? I mean, I think the, the priorities, but also that, that dialogue you know, I can imagine it's something along the lines of as product, you can say, look, we need to get to the top of that hill. Like, so you see that off in the distance. That's that's a beautiful hill. We all want to get up there. The view from there is going to be amazing. I know the users are going to love it. Now, come on, engineering, let's like drive there. And the temptation might be to be like, no, we're going to drive straight there from point A to point B. That's the quickest way to get there. And engineering may not speak up knowing that that's not a good idea because just over, you know, the next little hill or whatever on the way on the way up, there's uh, just a huge, you know, area of quicksand or, or deep mud. And while you may be able to get through it, you might have been smarter to go the longer way around. You mentioned tech debt and maybe make some infrastructure investments first and then go up the hill or, or something like that. So that's ten, that tends to be something that product may not have a lot of visibility in, and it really depends on engineering to uh, speak up. For sure, and I do think speaking up is, is, is very important because you know having uh, the bad conversations up front is ultimately my view of taking the best approach to it just because later down the line, like again, you get into this finger blaming or how did this go wrong, or it's gonna come out in a retrospective. And so to be able to have that upfront conversation, understanding those risks and challenges is really 
in the beginning where, you know, that dialogue with product engineering is key and important. And so, you know, if an engineer is someone who is, you know, maybe an associate or, you know, just an individual contributor and they don't feel comfortable, at least making sure that their manager is somebody that can ultimately get in there and have that dialogue is important. And, you know, some of these conversations, I mean, I know I've been in a lot of conversations that aren't necessarily pleasant, but um, it's far better to have that than launching something that is ultimately going to affect uh, hundreds, millions of users. And um, they're going to have to feel that because the conversation couldn't be had. Mm -hmm. So what is, uh, so like in concrete terms, like what, what did working with engineering look like? Were you primarily talking to engineering managers or project managers or like tech leads or yeah, walk me through some of that. Yeah, so I mean, working in Disney Life, you know, I was I was a I was a director of product and design, and so you know, I had a very close relationship with our director of technology. Um, he was very much you know a partner in crime, if you will, in terms of how we were able to build that out. And so we looked at it as a trusting relationship, as you know, with any relationship, you need to be able to trust that you both have each other's backs and you both have the best interest for the product and the user and getting into those discussions. And so. The way I like to formulate product at that level is, you know, it would always be a conversation with our business team and finding out like, okay, where's our, where's our core business goals? What are we trying to achieve here? Uh, then working with the design and research teams to then figure out like, okay, what are the features and what does the market look like? What is the kind of landscape that we need to understand? Not only just for the user, but again, to make sure that we have that information and we've done the research and due diligence. So all members of the team, whether it's engineering or not, understood the decision-making process because I think that that is important. Mm -hmm. From there, once those features were, you know, kind of, I don't want to say solidified, but it were at least put into an epic state where you could at a high level see the direction and where we were going. It was then a matter of working with... Um, the director of engineering and the different directors with the different parts of the business to just say, okay, let's, let's talk about this and let's see if we're all aligned. Once we had that alignment, typically, you know, in our kind of quarterly roadmap review, we would bring in the entire team and we'd lay out what the actual plan was and we'd give them the chance to ask questions. This isn't necessarily a deep dive. Um, this was more just a high level kind of direction setting, but within that quarter, we would ultimately, you know, with it, we had two week sprint iterations, but before each sprint, we would go over each of the stories in details. We worked on a pod-based system. So what that means for listeners who don't necessarily work in a pod-based system today is, is, you know, we had a DRI, directly responsible individual. Typically that was the product person. Uh, there would be a designer, a researcher, um, front end, back end, and uh, project management, as well as QA within this group. And their whole sole focus was to make sure that their area of focus or their feature was what they were working on. Mm -hmm. We give that, that pod the chance to ask questions, and this is kind of the deep dive, right? This is the this is when you get into it and making sure that everyone understands it, but ultimately everyone understands it for estimation purposes as well, because that's going to be infinitely important. Um, I myself would be in there as well as the product uh, manager who would be leading it. Um, my role there in those meetings was really for support. Um, it's really the DRI who really needs to help champion that and make sure that they have that clear understanding and vision because they're ultimately going to be the ones day to day that's helping that team build it out. And once, once the direction is set, the research has been done and everyone's bought into that vision, it's really product who's there to help, I would say, support engineering mm -hmm. and design and helping remove, remove those uh, uh, questions and blockers, um, maybe not necessarily from a product roadmap or estimation standpoint, but at least from a clarity point. Gotcha. So the, the front end and the, the back end engineers, if they were part of that pod, there would be a product manager in the pod with them that they would be working with? Correct. Yes. And so what, yeah, so what kind of relationship uh, does that look like? Even that, even if that wasn't 
wasn't you, I imagine that you have a, a good idea of, of what those conversations, what that, yeah, what that relationship looks like. I mean, I think, I think the relationship really stems, I think that stems down from, you know, where I mentioned that, you know, I treated it as a collaboration. That needs to be something that is a value that I would ultimately see goes down throughout the entire team. And so all product managers need to be aligned in that. It's like, look, you know, you are helping drive this feature. You are helping making sure that it beats the quality standards that we have set out, um, which are already established up front. But um, ultimately, it is working with that collaboration. It is making sure that, you know, people understand and people can work through that. And so if there is a problem where engineering is like, look, I, I can't necessarily build it as we have it scoped out here because we have X, Y, and Z issue, it's up to product to work with engineering and design and kind of bring people together to work through a creative solution to that problem. Um, mm, and it's then product's job to then report that information back up and so that your, your directors, your executives, everybody um, at the levels that need to be informed understand the change in direction and why that happened. Because I think, you know, the biggest thing, especially within large companies is, you know, not necessarily that something changed, but that something changed that they weren't aware of, right? Mm. Expectations are ultimately set, and you know a lot of times people get into trouble if they overpromise and underdeliver. Um, quality standards go, you know, weary, or ultimately something comes out that was ultimately reported, but then immediately changed, and nobody was told. Those are things that you're constantly trying to avoid, and so you're steering the ship, and so everyone understands that. I think that's the key thing throughout this. Yeah, I think that's a big thing at, at larger companies. That's probably. Um little bit more difficult to, to understand if um, you're a little bit more on your own or, or at a smaller company yeah. is that oftentimes a lot of things need to come together at a specific point in the future. And um, because of that, you know, a team could be trying to build out a set of features or some infrastructure or something so that it is completed by a certain date so that when another thing is ready, they can, you know, integrate together in a certain way. And it can be really damaging if uh, at somewhere along the, the way, a decision was made to cancel one of those. And so uh, the thing that's depending on a platform uh, winds up not being there. And that's, that's horrible. Or some platform that's being built to support another thing that other thing doesn't arrive. And, and that can be pretty bad. Yeah. And I, and I would say that, you know, whether it's a big company or a small company, Communication is absolutely key in and making sure that, you know, everybody's on the same page. I'm not saying, you know, this happened at Disney or the startup or any company that I've been through, but there's definitely stories where, you know, you have a, we'll call it the rogue engineer who um, you tell them to, you know, this is how we need to architect it. And then they go in and they change the entire code base. And then they're like, it's better. And it's like, that may be great. <laughs> And I'm not, it's not a matter of arguing whether it's better or worse, but ultimately, if those changes are not communicated, like your, your changes have long-term downstream effects that could, you know, affect another engineer, that could affect how we're architecting this or ultimately how we're looking at this from a design platform system. And that, that's where, you know, I've, I've definitely heard that there's some problems and those kinds of things you definitely want to avoid. And to be fair, you know, a, a lot of those times it's somebody who's like, taking the initiative and they have the best interest at heart. Um, and that's great, but the communicate without communication, it's really lost. Yeah. I, I think, that, I think that's a pretty, pretty interesting point. Um, for one, there's, there's no, there's no single axis for better. It's not like a single line where, you know, the further the right, further to the right, it's better. And further to the left, it's, it's worse. There's so many things that are 
in consideration in a product or service. I mean, to, to make kind of a, a, a metaphor, uh, it, it's as if, you know, the architecture plans called for, I mean, this is more like interior design or something, but it calls for a uh, carpet in a particular room. And it's as if the engineer is like, why would you want carpet? Like, you know, I can get this really nice terrazzo stone that is way fancier, way easier to clean, you know, looks super good. And I can, you know, because I'm so awesome, I can get it for cheaper than carpet. So I'll just put it in there and it's better. Like it's better in every way. And of course it's like, no, that's like a nursery and, you know, it needs to be really quiet. So that was a horrible idea. And now we can't really rip out the stone because everything else got built on top of the floor. And that was a bad thing to do. Yeah, exactly. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, one of the things that, that I'm a little bit curious about is like, what would you say to, to like a junior engineer or someone who's just starting out um, and they, they begin working with product? Like, how should they how should they think about that or what should they be aware of? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's different at all, like, you know, if we're talking big company and small company, but I'm just trying to, you know, provide advice that kind of goes across blanketed, I would say, you know, it's not just about how much you know your code base. And I know that this is something you and I have talked about. Um, there's also a lot of soft skills that go a lot of that go a long way. Um, just in terms of like, you know, treating people with respect and empathy and making sure that, you know, ever understanding that, you know, the product's job, if they're doing it well, they're always going to have somebody upset with them, right? <laughs> and I think that, you know, that, that's true because, you know, you can't please everyone all the time. And so, you know, when, when you were talking about, you know, there's no real gauge of better, um, that's true, there's not. But um, there are benchmarks or there are, you know, KPIs that you've set out that, that clearly show whether it's a, a, a better or worse difference than what the goals and outlines are set. Um, I would also say that, you know, feel free to, you know, definitely speak up and challenge uh, from an objective standpoint when it makes sense. And what I mean by that is like, you know, I think it's entirely fair that if you don't believe in a feature or you don't believe the direction is right for X, Y, and Z, but yet um, there's, there's, a, there's a saying or system that we always used to have, which is, you know, the kind of debate, decide, and align. So mm. once you've debated that and you've aired out your grievances, you then you didn't get into a decision and okay, everyone kind of bought into this. And then there's that alignment. If you're still debating after that alignment, like nobody likes that person. Um, and ultimately, <laughs> you, do, you do have to yeah. move forward because you know indecision is almost as hurtful as a wrong decision. And so to be able to just know when the right time and um, you know, this is uh, something in big company terminology we used to call signaling. So it's like, let's signal when the various points in the uh, in the development cycle we are at. And so like, for example, blue sky is all, blue sky or um, brainstorming. Just brainstorming is a very fun word of mine. Um, not that I'm in favor of it, but I do think that there are right and wrong ways of doing it. And so if you're in the brainstorming, uh, segment, you know, those are still supposed to be aligned with goals. Like if you get into a brainstorm and you're like, we should make the craziest thing ever. And people are like, that's not mapped to our goals. Come on, like, let's rein this in. And very, very much like if you're in a uh, debating scenario within a feature, like, you know, you should debate for ultimately what the right outcome is based on the goal and objective. And, you know, ultimately, as long as you're working towards that goal and objective and making sure that, that goal and objective is brought to you in a clear, simple, understandable way that's supported by data from the product team, that's ultimately important. And those are the th types of things that are worth getting into a discussion about. But um, 
you know, after, after that's kind of in alignment, it's then time to kind of move forward. Uh, I'd also say that, you know, I do see a lot of times that like engineers hang out with engineers and design product hang out with product. Um, I highly recommend, and this is kind of getting back to like the high school days, but it's like, you know, hang out with everyone and try to just get their point of view and their perspective. Um, I say that as a generalist, so I understand that that, you know, isn't always able to be the case, especially if you're working under tight deadlines. But, um, you know, being able to understand little bits of part of bits of product or, you know, again, product and design are two things that are different for every company, but at least what it means at your company or, you know, what you're trying to achieve if you're creating your own project. I think that that's important as well. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's interesting because uh, developers have a lot of power in one sense, right? Sure. You know, you can almost, you can almost think of, you know, I, I've, I've heard this sometimes that that product is the what and engineering is the how. And yeah. it's usually engineering that is the, the hands-on part. So when engineering is doing something and it's deciding how it's going to be done, uh, they tend to have a lot of, uh, a lot of power for the ultimate, the ultimate outcome of how that feature lands and how it looks to, to users. Uh, you know, there can be a temptation or possibly even a resistance to the what of, um, of product. And in, in some sense, you may, you know, you may even just think, okay, well, product is going to tell me exactly what it is. And, you know, I don't really have to think like if, if the specs and whatever comes over and it's not detailed enough, then I don't need to work on it. I can just push it back. Or um, there could be the resistance on the other side, which is an engineer wants to have more input and doesn't like being told exactly what to do. And I think I think there can be danger on both sides. But to your point, Thomas, I think a, a good way of handling both of those is just to have a much better and friendlier uh, relationship with people in product, people in designers. And I find I find that resistance or um, or, you know, or anything like that is much less common the more engineers get out of just being in engineering bubbles or clicks to uh, use the high school example. The, the more that you're talking to people in product, the more that you're talking to designers just in a more friendly way, the more likely it is that you are going to be able to internalize what they're trying to do, what their goals are. And in the case that specs are sparser than you would like, you will be able to intuit a little bit better what they're trying to do, and you won't have to add so many round trips to the to the back and forth with the specs. Similarly, if if uh, you know, it might be one of those situations where you feel like you don't want to just be told what to do. You want to be more of a of a brain instead of just a a pair of hands and and do more thinking. Again, in those conversations, you can uh, make you know, it's just going to be very clear your ideas for. The product in the direction and that's just going to wind up getting incorporated and you know chances are they may welcome the fact that they can trust you to make a lot of those decisions on your own and take some of the burden off of trying to be too detailed or too controlling in the in the specs uh, one thing that i'm uh, that i wanted to ask you about is do you do you know like like over time working with lots of devs like do you do you recognize particular qualities that you like or like what you look for in a developer that you like working with or not? Well, yeah, and I, I think I, I'd answer that in a different way, going back to, you know, when you're talking about like some developers, you know, love to be more creative and some developers just, you know, want to be the brains and be behind that. 
I think, you know, you're always going to find a variety of people. And, um, and that's true in every sense, whether that's, you know, a designer who just wants to be able to get into the nitty gritty of the information architecture. And that's where they want to live and breathe versus, you know, some designers want to be able to bring that through in the wireframes and produce animated wires that kind of show you visually. Product is kind of the same way. You know, you have people who are really obsessed with data. You have people who are really obsessed with the creative aspect. And so I think, you know, being able to be comfortable working with all types of uh, individuals and just, again, going back into the, like, learning what people want and ultimately the types of engineers, uh, to answer your question more succinctly, is, you know, people who are just kind of speak up about what they want, right? Um, you know, I think in, especially in big companies, sometimes a lot of people don't want to speak up about what their goals are or what they want. And I think at the end of the day, like no one's going to know, no one's going to read your mind. Um, and again, as we're talking about this as a relationship, like the product person isn't going to be like, man, I really wonder what David wants to do. Like, <laughs> sleep. like I was up all night. Um, I think you have to tell people. And if you're like, look, I'd love to be able to have a little bit more creative freedom. You might be surprised and you might actually get that because ultimately what that means is that if you're if you're thinking about it in a successful mindset from a product standpoint that means you're going to get somebody who is getting more investment they're going to get more out of it and they're ultimately you know maybe you could be helping groom a technical product manager for the future or you could be helping groom a, a really amazing creative engineer that could um, really start to become your new prototyper. And then this is how I believe this unicorn that people talk about actually happens. Mm. Um, and this is how, where it's born from, is just listening and speaking up about what it is that you wanna do. Now, is that gonna work every time? No, I'm sure there's gonna be times that people are gonna be like, look, you just need to do this. And <laughs> that's what needs to happen, that's great. Yeah. Like, if you're under a tight time, I and mean, you're like, I just really wanna be creative. And they're like, we have to ship this tomorrow. Like. That's great, but maybe now isn't the time. Like, yeah. I think knowing when that time is and then being able to speak up and then having that conversation, that's ultimately where I would look at because I've worked with creative engineers. I've worked with, you know, engineers who just want to be the brain. I've worked with amazing architects. Ultimately, people who are good at their job and invested in it and get very passionate about it, like, those are ultimately the people you want to work with. Yeah, it seems like a lot, a lot of what we keep coming back to is communication. And, and part of that is, is knowing when to say some things. It's not just what you say, it's when you say. So you brought up the debate, decide, align, and knowing where you are in those particular milestones and when you can afford to turn the ship or, or you know, make changes to the, to the direction, um, I think is pretty important. Are there other types of things to keep in mind with communication that could, could help our listeners? Um, you know, signaling, definitely understanding when in the conversation, um, speaking up around issues. Um, and well, part of the reason why I ask is, is it's pretty common, I think, in, in our conversations to hear how important communication is. And I think for, for a lot of engineers, that winds up being a little bit of a tricky topic. I think the, you know, the stereotype of engineers is that they're just generally not very good at communication. And I think... What I'm kind of getting at is there is there are there particular concrete do's and don'ts or or any I don't know maybe anecdotes that you have for particularly good uh, communication or particularly poor communication that would I don't know make it maybe a, a little bit more clear. Yeah, I would definitely say, and this is something that you know I've spent a lot of time thinking about, um, you know, just in my own, in my own personal time is just thinking about the values and 
of the of the company. And I think that this is an important thing to ask. And I think this is an important thing to get to early on, whether it's a startup or not. Like I think you know, like you start you start a company. Day two, you should ask what the values are, um, or at least within that first week, because if you can't align with the values and ultimately the philosophy of the company. Then what gives you a baseline to decide where the argument shifts, right? Because when you put the power of an argument within an individual, that isn't a good baseline to understand when you're right, when you're wrong, and when ultimately you know you're trying to drive things forward. So I think having concrete goals and knowing that you have something to point back, you can point back to. So you're right. It's 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 not enough to just say like, okay, where am I in the conversation? Clearly, you don't want to be the guy who is um you know in the uh, brainstorm and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, not the brainstorm, but you're in the roadmap meeting and you're like, what if we did this? And they're like, (laughs) this has been decided already. Yeah. um, But, you know, if you do see something and maybe again, not calling it out in the meeting, but like at least going to, you know, your manager or even going directly to the product person and be like, look, I see that you have a feature there and it doesn't really align with our core values. Like this seems very, um, almost like we're trying to bleed money from somebody when one of our core values is mm. exactly the opposite of that. That gives you a leg to stand on because you're not, you're not challenging, say, the product manager's decision-making. You're challenging what the, what, what, where, they're, where they're writing the decisions of these features that are clearly already established by the values. And the values at times can be lost. And, and there are a lot of companies that do a really good job with posting them everywhere. Um, you know, I remember visiting Facebook and they were, they were excellent in terms of like putting the value out there of this is who we are and this is what we do. Now, what do you, now what, what do you think of Facebook today is neither here nor there. I'm just talking about, you know, <laughs> being able to illustrate um, and showcase those to their employees, right? And this was some time ago. So, you know, I'm not trying to get into the debate of Facebook today, but definitely understanding what those values are because you ultimately want to be able to have something to point back to, right? And think about it just like a feature in a product, uh, as a product manager, like if I'm going to come out here and be like, we should have a video player. And you know, someone's gonna be like, well, why? I need to have data to help support that. And I need to be able to help convince people and not just a subjective conversation. And um, I think that that's, that's important. And then ultimately, you know, getting to know people again, which again, we're pointing back to some of the things, things we've already discussed, but being able to point back to values, being able to know where you are in the conversation, understanding and being able to read the room is a very uh, good one. And again, I, I understand that everyone's in different points in the and how they like to communicate, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. And, you know, I think whether it's verbal or email communication, whatever you're comfortable with, and as long as you can get your point across, and then it ultimately, if that point is rejected, at least having something to point back to so people can help understand your thinking, right? I just think not coming out of the blue with something or just being completely antagonistic or being defensive, I think those are not great qualities for being able to help establish the relationship and help build that trust. Because ultimately, all these communication tactics and points are really establishing trust. Because, mm. you know, I think the dream scenario is, is that, you know, in the beginning of the company, you're, you, you're an engineer and you sit down with your product manager and you're like, what, you go through an hour-long meeting and they ex- explain a feature to you. Five years go down the road, you get in a room and you're like, we're going to do that thing that we used to do and it's going to go, and they're like, I totally get it. And you both understand, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that that's realistic in how I explained it, but at least trying to reduce communication and fill that with trust based on how you can shorten the lexicon to get to where you need to be to help save time is ultimately, I think, an efficiency thing that whether you're on the product or engineering side, you can ultimately agree with. Nice. So I do want, I want to go back to values because um, I think 
I think that can be a really nebulous term. And uh, you, you brought up one, which is which is the idea of, look, this feature looks like it's it's designed to, to bleed money out of the customer, but that's against our values. I mean, mm-hmm. what would what would some of those values be? I mean, to my mind, you also brought up Facebook. I feel like one of those values is move fast and break things. I think mm-hmm. values um, are really only valuable if if they have a cost attached. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, values like, you know, we really want to have the best customer support or, you know, high quality, you know, product. Like those are kind of meaningless because it's not really showing what you're willing to, to pay to get those. But something like move fast and break things has the cost in there. They're basically saying, look, all else, all else being equal, if you have to choose between getting something done or having it perfect, we choose done. And so that can give a very clear metric to, or, or just like a clear frame to an engineer to uh, justify why they didn't spend an extra month trying to polish a thing. And instead they decided, you know what, this isn't perfect. Let's get it out to the user first so that we can get data and then refine. Now, obviously that philosophy, I don't even know if Facebook still follows it, but I just, I I can't imagine that being uh, popular at Apple, for example. (laughs) Absolutely not. Yeah. And I I don't, I I believe Facebook has gone away with that. Again, I'm not hundred percent on that one, but, um, but you do, but the interesting point there between Facebook and Apple, like you immediately know, or if you've you've spent a lot of time looking into these companies, like if you go into Apple, you know, it's probably going to be, you know, something that the user experience, the quality is going to be paramount in terms of how that delivery is. If you look at, say, you know, a Google or an Amazon, they're looking to, they're looking at speed of market functionality and making something works, right? And so whether it, whether it's values, goals, principles, being able to understand the kind of overall, like what this company stands for, how they operate and, um, you know, what that ultimate, what they're ultimately putting out in stone for people to follow is important. And ultimately what I'm just trying to get at is, is you do want to have something to make sure that when you join that company and let's say you go to Apple and, and they're like, wait, I, I don't really care about design. And then, you know, Apple's going to be like, well, why are you here? Right? <laughs> or, and it's, and yeah. it's not that you need, it's not that you need to be a designer if you're an engineer, but you know, you need to be able to respect it and you need to be able to respect the design, te- the design team's decision. And you need to respect that they are, world-class designers who are taking the time to be able to make sure that what they're putting forth, uh, they've done the due diligence, right? And, um, yeah. and that- or go join Amazon. Just kidding. Shots fired. <laughs> yeah, you know, join wherever it makes sense for you. I, again, I'm not saying any of these companies are better or worse. It really comes down to the individual and being able to say like, okay, this is where I want to go and this is where I belong. Um, for me, you know, and I think an attractive piece of Disney was because it's an entertainment and technology company. And, you know, coming from more of a creative background, I started my career in uh, producing commercials. I gravitated towards that much, much more. And I always looked up to Imagineering because, you know, I grew up going to Six Flags and being stuck in a, in a chained queue was never something that was too appealing on a hot summer day. But um, if you could tell me a story and maybe give me a fan and put in an enclosure that I can then be lost in, I think I can forget that it's extremely hot out and I'm in, probably in Florida or Virginia. Like those are things that, again, uh, assign value. And those are things that are valuable to me. And those are things that I look up to and aspire to. And I think ultimately, you know, having that is a, is a key thing because, um, 
knowing, knowing, and again, knowing those goals, values, values, values or principles, um, and knowing where you sit within them helps formulate the argument and ultimately helps, I guess, kind of understand whether you should be there or not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I might even go so far as to say that when looking for a job and deciding which company to join, you should really be clear on what those values are. I think if you, if you internally are a move fast and break things engineer, like you really should not join a company that really wants to measure twice and cut once. You're, you're really just not going to be happy. And that's just going to be a constant source of friction. Similarly, if you really do want to get things right and you place a, a huge emphasis on quality and getting things done right and pixel perfect and only releasing it once it's going to make a huge splash and amazing, you really shouldn't be working for a company that's going to try and push you to release as quickly as possible and iterate and refine and figure out, you know, figure it out later. Cause you're, you're just not going to like the idea that good enough is, is forever within a lot of those, those places. I think that helps set you up for success, failure and rejection when you're talking to recruiters too, because you know, there could be a lot of times where like you could be the um, strongest engineer and you could still be rejected or the strongest product person to be rejected. And then it comes down to those values because if you're at a company and, um, you know, if I'm looking to hire somebody and let's say, let's say I, I create a new company and we just do it right now. And our core value is like the user experience, right? And I'm hiring a front end iOS engineer and they just really care about like being the brains um, and they're amazing at it and I reject them, right? Well, you're rejected because you don't value the user experience as much and it ultimately doesn't necessarily fit in. And so when, you, when a company's thinking about hiring somebody, it's like, all right, what are the things I can teach you? And what are the things that are going to be hard for me to break and then re, have you relearn? Because mm, teaching yeah. somebody um, how to code, as it is not easy, if you are already an engineer taking on another language, you can understand and you can pretty much pick it up rather easily, right? Um, I make yeah. assumption, and, I, and again, I know that it's not 100% true, but <laughs> if you don't care about user experience, like... I'm not, it's going to be far harder for me to get you to care about than it is for you to learn. And I think that that's where it gets into, okay, the values of what's important. And from a company perspective, like what can I teach you versus what is already inherent? Yeah. I think a lot of engineers, in fact, I was having this conversation last night at, at JSLA, a lot of engineers when looking for a job, they really just want to apply everywhere, right? A common thing that I hear is, Oh, I just want to get my foot in the door and then I'll figure it out. And I understand where this comes from. I, I mean, I, I, oh, I, I completely, completely get it. I just think that you really can be a little bit more careful where you're applying and you can do a little bit more diligent, you know, put in just a little bit more diligence and research into figuring out what the values are that are going to work with you and really just narrow down to those companies. Because, you know, one of the, one of the, the, the points that came up last night actually was uh, Andy Burke, who's also been on the show. He, he was saying that, look, instead of just spending a few seconds applying, you know, a few seconds each applying to a thousand companies, invest just a little bit more time 
and maybe only apply to a hundred different companies that share your values. You know, it's, it's the difference between, you know, a mile wide or an inch deep or, or actually showing why, why you care, why you would be invested, how you would, you know, you would really be able to stick with it when things are challenging versus it, everything is just going to be a little bit of sand in the years because it, it's just not a good it's not a good fit. And the values that we're talking about, I think I, I think it, I really wish they could be a little bit more clear and concrete. And and the the one that I think comes out a lot is the the move fast and break things versus the the measure twice cut once. But there's other things too, and they can often be non technical and matter just as much. Some companies are very much not uh, like they don't really care about the niceties or how you communicate or like, like positivity or, or just, yeah, being like friendly with your teammates, They're, they can be just much more like, no, here's the data, clearly, this is right now, like, do it or, you know, whatever, like this idea is, is stupid and being like, totally blunt, and almost getting to the best answer through conflict is, is something that's popular in in many companies and other companies like that is just not acceptable. And more than anything else, we're on the same team and we should all treat each other as like teammates and be really friendly, even if like, you know, something's something's wrong or we disagree, you know, trying trying to soften that conflict. And that's something that you can know about yourself completely um, irrespective of technology. Like if you if you know that you are much more of that blunt, like I only care about data and I'm going to argue because conflict is the best way to get the right answer, do not, don't waste your time trying to apply to companies that are not going to to run themselves that way. It's, exactly. it's just going to be difficult. And one thing I would add too is that, you know, I would say the, you know, you could always take the research and look into how the company operates, what they're core values are, their goals and what their principles are and things of that nature. But, you know, I think that ultimately is, speaks to, you know, maybe more senior, like when you're starting out in your career, like I do think there is value to like get in there and like if they do hire you um, and you're kind of unsure where you want to sit, like kind of got to get the shit kicked out of you to find out whether you like it. <laughs> that is a thing. Yeah. Um, and I mean, don't be abused. Don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying don't put yourself in abusive situations, but you know, like you're right. There are going to be companies where you're going there and like, this is what you do. You don't like it. You can go and you can easily find out whether you are that type of person or not. Um, and again, you know, I, 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 I don't want this to come up misconstrued because, you know, we are talking about communication and I am talking about like, everyone should be nice. At the end of the day, like you're not there to make friends. You are there to do a job and it is mm -hmm. the job that needs to get done. And so these are some of the soft tactics I think that can help to make things better. But, you know, when I am saying like, you know, you need to get those hard conversations out during the front, you need to be respectful. You need to be able to argue to the point, not at the person. But again, you do need to be able to argue and you need to, you do need to be able to come in there knowing what you're talking about, being able to formulate an argument and ultimately having the data and information to back that up. And that's why I wanted to point to kind of the goals and principles because you need to be able to point and back, have something to back up to. Because if you're just going to go in there and you're just going to be like, I disagree, like you're going to get eaten alive. And that's ultimately not going to help you in any way. And so, yeah, uh, it, it, th these things are important. And, and I think, you know, all of it should be taken with, you know, who are you as a person? What are you looking to get into? And then ultimately, you know, if you do know that, then like you're saying, do that research, trying to find out where it works best. And, you know, I think uh, especially within the interview process, like 
I've seen this a lot of times where as just interviewing engineers, it's like, I get to the point where I'm like, do you have any questions for me? If you don't have any questions for me, like what the hell are you doing? Like, <laughs> because ultimately like I can fill the time and I can ask you more questions, but I don't know if I want to, because are you even curious? Right. Yeah. Are you curious? If, are you showing initiative? Like those things are important. Exactly. And the questions could be, you know, I would rather have somebody be like, you know, when I was at Disney, like, and this was a common one, which was like, what's your favorite Disney attraction? If you had zero questions, but you asked me that question, um, I would, I would much rather have you ask me that than have nothing because. Oh, well, I mean, you know, I already, what you've mentioned so far, like, I think that could be an interesting conversation. I mean, yeah. you know, you don't, you, you mentioned the lines. And so originally, like already I'm thinking of Disney attractions that already suck you into the story and have an elaborate, uh, experience before you get onto the ride. So uh, I'm actually curious, is it is it an attraction that that has uh, like a, a more elaborate uh, line experience? Oh, you mean what are you, are you asking me what my I'm asking is? it? Yeah, your 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 favorite attraction? Uh, I would for me, it's the Haunted Mansion. And the Haunted Mansion is because uh, I don't like horror movies. And I don't like, like scary things. But there's something about the way the Haunted Mansion does it that makes it fun. And so I always say that if you can make somebody do something that they don't like and they enjoyed it, in the same way with the chef, like, you know, I'm sure, you know, like I don't like onions. And I've had many, many chefs uh, be like, I can make you like onions, right? You can do that. <laughs> like, that's amazing. And to me, the Haunted Mansion, just in terms of how it sets up the story and, or its lack of story, if you will, and uh, kind of brings you in and mystifies you. And I think it's done that for you know, a lot of audiences because you know, there's a huge subgroup of people who love the Haunted Mansion. But um, you know, not getting into subjective conversation, but just looking at the Haunted Mansion objectively, like, they are very creative with their problem solving in terms of like, okay, we've got a train, let's put this elevator in. But wait, it's not an elevator, it's a room that stretches. If I mm. spoil that for anyone, I'm so Spoilers. I'm going to put the warning in the show notes. Um, and so, you know, the way that they've helped solve creative problems through storytelling and then bring you into that story, I think is always as a child mystified me and, um, something that, you know, I still enjoy writing today. And so if you, if somebody never asked me that question, like you never would have known where it went. And so, you know, this is where it gets back to the point of speaking up. It's like, if you don't ask, you're never going to know, you know how it is right now. And mm -hmm. you got to ask yourself, like, what am I really risking? Like, what am I really going to lose from it? And nine times out of 10, especially in the interview process, like it's nothing. You're not going to lose yeah. anything. You don't have anything to begin with. So you might as well get more information and see where it goes. That could, have made, that could be the make or break. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, and, you know, asking Thomas, <laughs> asking you about your, uh, your favorite attraction, I think that, that might have seemed like a little bit of a tangent. But had you asked that in, a, in an interview... Like, let's just pretend I asked you that in an interview and you told me that story that actually would have given insight into what you what you value, like you talking about, OK, we need an elevator, but we're going to do it in this creative way that nobody knows that it's an elevator. Like there are parallels to development and product design uh, in there. And there there's knowing that that's how you think uh would be a very strong signal like i think someone could be very utilitarian and be like no any any work that we do trying to gussy up an elevator could be better spent elsewhere let's just make the elevator as quick and dirty as and efficient as possible and we'll put those resources elsewhere like if that was the way that i thought when talking to you and heard you say that that would be a good signal that it's not a good fit or if i heard that 
and I lit up, then I would know like, okay, cool. Here's some common ground. Let me share something that I really value and give my example. And then Thomas would know like, oh crap, we're really aligned on this. And, you know, we were, it's likely that we'll be able to work together because Thomas would be able to trust me that I would, I would apply the same creativity and thing to uh, problems that, that we had to. So Thomas, this has been great. Uh, where, where can people find out more about you online? I know you said your company's stealth, but uh, maybe some, there's some other things that, that you want to talk about. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, you know, I'm, I'm on, I'm on social media. Uh, I would say, you know, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm really, I'm happy to chat with anybody on LinkedIn. If anyone has any questions or expand on some of the topics we've talked about, uh, I'm Thomas Wadsworth on LinkedIn and, you know, happy to, happy to have a discussion and talk further. And, uh, yeah. And as soon as I have more information willing to share, I will gladly, you know, share that out as well. Awesome. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me next time for Junior to Senior. If you've enjoyed the show and you want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.juniortoseniour.io. I'll also put that in the show notes, and you can get more information about joining our private community. Thanks, everyone. Bye.